This is the book of Malachi, when spiritual intimacy feels elusive. I want to talk to you tonight about getting your heart ready for God's free grace. Getting your heart ready for God's free grace. There is a constant danger for all of us in saying things in our, perhaps in our worship times, before the Lord, prayer times, saying things we don't really mean, not seriously. We sing a chorus, and somewhere in the middle of it, it's, it's nothing wrong with the song. In the middle of it, there's this phrase, worthy of every breath that I ever breathed, I live for you. And every time I sing it, I, I don't know about you, I, I feel guilty. I mean, think of it. Worthy every, every breath that I ever breathe. So, how many times do you do that in a day? How many times? You ever counted? Breathing in and out? Seriously, every single time I breathe, Lord, all my strength, all my energy, you are all I think about, you are all I live for. And we sing that Sunday morning and Sunday night, half the people won't even come back to church. But he's worthy of every breath that I ever breathed. And you realize, well, I mean, it's kind of a poetic thing. Really, we don't live like that. <laughs> There's this constant danger of our words outstripping our actual commitment. The text is Malachi chapter 3, first three verses. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. So there's a messenger. And then, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. This covenant in whom you delight. So there's delight coming with this messenger of the new covenant. But then look. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? So you're meant to see this sweet and sour. The, the, the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, this blessed new covenant. He's coming. And over here, but who, who in the world can stand his coming? And so we're met to see right off the bat that there's this grace. It's, it's grace, but it's not a cheap grace. And he says, he's coming, says the Lord of hosts, but who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? Well, what's the problem? Well, he's like a refiner's fire. Like Fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and a purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. Remember where we are at the text now, where God is going to judge them because the people want to bring whatever's lame and 
a little bit defective. We'll bring those sacrifices, and the priests want to have the crowd keep coming, so they're okaying the whole thing, and God, God would have none of it. And he says, but the day is coming. There's going to be a change, and they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. In an earlier study, we examined the kind of people who weary God. As great and almighty as he is, God actually told the people, God told the people that they were making him weary. That's a problem. Malachi 2.17, you have wearied the Lord with your words. That the talk... But you say, well, how have we wearied him? By saying everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or by asking, where is the God of justice? You weary the Lord because you, you, you do bad things, but you say they're not, they're not so bad. God is gracious, and he's, he's loving. So the people who were wearying the Lord, they were doing so by failing to take to heart any of his reproofs. They're always self-justifying. How have we wearied him? Well, they've wearied the Lord by failing to distinguish good and bad, sin and righteousness in their action. Everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord. He delights in them. So there's this is our culture, right there. An endless capacity to find ways to make our own desires pleasing to the Lord. That's what they were doing. Rather than changing our desires and our actions, we've decided just to change God's viewpoint on them. And God says, this is, got to tell you people, this is wearying me. The one who never slumbers or sleeps, that God, this is wearying me. So it's in the face of these stubborn realities rooted in the godless hearts that this new day is announced. It's not going to come for about 400 years, but it'll come. And the idea here is the people with their carelessness, their relativism, their calling their wicked deeds, good in the eyes of the Lord. If, if, if this messenger is coming with a new covenant, all that has to change. They've got to get ready for the coming of the Lord. Point number one. God announces that an old age is about to close and a new one is about to begin. Three one. There's this messenger. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. That's the part. I send my messenger, he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. So the idea here is the gospel era, the era of the grace of God, the, where we live right now, tonight, this era, it requires preparation. It requires preparation because people, like the people in Malachi's day and like people today, they're not going to embrace God's mercy and grace until they first learn to take their own sin seriously. Call it sin. 
Did you notice? I'm not, it sounds like I'm, I'm not critiquing, but did you notice in that song we all sang, and it's got kind of an upbeat to it, this is amazing grace. Did you notice that in that whole chorus, I was looking for it, the word sin doesn't occur? Grace, there's victory, there's life, there's, it's for sin. <laughs> Grace doesn't come just to deliver us from our fears or our phobias or our discouragement. It's for our sin. You, 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 can't, you, can't, you can't get ready for the new covenant until you, you get this sin thing in your head. And we're not very good at that anymore. In the, I don't mean this church, but in the church. Do you remember how Jesus said, he said, here's the problem. I come as a doctor, Jesus said. You need to understand, a doctor is only valuable to people who are really sick. If you're perfectly healthy, you don't need a doctor. Jesus said, I'm, I'm that doctor. The only people I can possibly do anything for are people that say, I am critically sick. I need grace. And so this messenger is going to come and prepare the way. You got to get ready for the coming new covenant in Christ. Our lives must be prepared for Jesus. Malachi serves notice in these verses. There's this group of religious people crying out for the presence of God. Where's the God of justice? That's the question. And all the while, these people are putting obstacles in God's way. People who want God's grace don't want to go to church. People who want God's grace but love the moral values of the culture. No wonder God, he says, I'm, I'm weary with this. You know what? We better listen when God says he's weary with something. We better pay attention. What a sham to beg for God's presence and grace and then put up all sorts of obstacles to that grace. It's, it's like, it's nervy. It's like a small child who shoots both of his parents and then pleads for mercy on the grounds that he's an orphan. So Malachi says, there will come one more advance voice, one more messenger. The message will be the same. Get ready for the Redeemer. Get ready for the Lamb of God. People must prepare the way for God's wonderful grace. You can't just ask for grace. You make room for grace. This was the problem in Malachi's day. Those people we're bumping up right up against Christ's first coming, just as we're kind of approaching his second coming. In each group, a new dawning was being readied, and the people were being summoned to prepare. It's not an easy thing to prepare. Then as now, boy, we can rely on our religious systems like they were in Malachi's day. They came, they prayed at the altar, 2.13. And then they would lie and commit adultery, 3-5. That's, that's direct quotes from the book of Malachi. I didn't take time to look them up. Pray at the altar, 
sleep with whoever you want. And they convinced themselves that those two parts of their lives were totally unrelated. They didn't realize that while God's grace is wondrously free, it's never accommodating to patterns of life that don't submit to his rule. So, after Malachi's words, 400 years would pass. It's a long time. And then suddenly, out in the desert, remember? There was this fresh prophetic voice. The first one after Malachi. This fresh prophetic voice crying out. And people recognized that God was returning. He was going to come and do a new great work. And the new message sounds out with John the Baptist, and it picks up the same theme that Malachi left off. There's an amazing consistency. I, I just wanted to read this text to you, Luke 3, 4 to 14. As it is written in the book of the words of Isaiah the prophet, quote, the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Now here's the theme. Prepare the way of the Lord. There's the same thing. Just Malachi, 400 years later. The problem hasn't been fixed. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley shall be filled. Every mountain and hill shall be made low. The crooked shall become straight. The rough places shall become level ways. And all flesh will see the salvation of God. And so the religious crowd comes. Seven. And he said, therefore, to the crowds that came up to be baptized. This is not good PR. You brood of vipers. That's not just an insult. That's you bunch of snakes. And he's thinking of the serpent. I know where, you, I know where you're from, John is saying. I know your system. Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Malachi says, who can, who can bear his coming, right? That's what Malachi asks. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. Grace is free, but there has to be repentance, real repentance. Do not begin, don't even start this justifying process. Well, we have Abraham as our father. I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children of Abraham. Now the axe is laid at the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowds asked him, what shall we do? And he answered, whoever has two tunics is to share them with the one who has none. Whoever has food, do likewise. Tax collectors also came to be baptized. And said to him, teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, collect no more than you are authorized to do. Soldiers also asked him, what shall we do? And he said, do not extort money for anyone by threats or false accusation. Be content with your wages. Don't miss the straightforward point. Preparing for Jesus as he speaks has to do with whether or not you're content with your pay, greedy for money, sharing extra clothes, sharing food, not cheating on your taxes. Now, don't get confused. This is not works salvation. You don't earn it. But this is repentance when it's genuine. It's manifested in the whole life. 
Jesus gave those few examples, but this is what it means to prepare the way for the Lord. The whole life has to be ready for Jesus. It affects your job. It affects your friendships. There are people in this church, and you're going to, I know people in this church. They're having a terribly hard time with their Christian walk, and it's all because they have friendships that are dragging them down, and they're not hearing the call of Jesus to repent. You've got to forsake that. That's how it works. That's what it means to prepare a way for the Lord, a way for him to work, a way for him to enter, a way for his grace to become powerful. When we casually and sometimes emotionally cry out to God, Lord, move in my heart, breathe on me, breath of God, be glorified in my life. It's very easy to convince ourselves that we're more sincere than we really are. There's a pretty good chance that I haven't thought through all that I've been asking God to do and how badly I want him to do it in my life. No wonder God doesn't just instantly answer that prayer. And then the petitioner will come to the conclusion that God isn't fair. Malachi 2.27. Where's the God of justice? The problem isn't with God. The person has prayed the prayer, but his life isn't anywhere near ready for God's answer. Revival isn't a mystery. It has to do with preparing the heart. Okay, I took too long there. Point number two. Suddenly the Lord will come. Malachi 3.1-3. Behold. I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple. The messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire, like fuller's soap. And he will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. This is what God's going to do with the priests in Levi's day and people like us in our day. Refine them like gold and silver. I want to close talking about a warning and a promise. So A, 2A, the warning. 3-2. Who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? God has always had to tell his own people not to skip too lightly over the event of his coming in justice and holiness and judgment. It's easy to get used to the machinery of any church or religion and not really be thinking and ready for his actual coming like a purifier of silver. God constantly had to warn his people about this, even in the Old Testament. I was looking at Amos 5.18. Look at this. This is surprising. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Are you kidding? I thought we were supposed to desire that. Woe to you who desire the day of the Lord. Why would you have the day of the Lord? Darkness, not light. So here's, here's people who had for so long, just been blithering about the coming of the day of the Lord, 
totally unaware of the fact that they're nowhere near ready for the coming of the day of the Lord. It's the danger of mystically wishing for a visitation from the Lord without actually preparing for it with the kind of that phrase, prepare a highway, that demolition reconstruction process, preparing a highway for the Lord. That's the quote. But it's right through the middle of my heart. Have you ever watched them build a highway? Have you seen how radically they have to cut down the earth and scrape away the surface and mow down trees and build overpasses and pour concrete and Sometimes explosives are used. Prepare a highway, John. Right here. There are flowery notions that life will just go on forever as usual. That God would just come and kind of leave his construction plans at home. That he'll come with nothing but sentiment. Notions that as long as I try and be nice to people, maybe live by the golden rule. So there's this warning. He's, he's coming. It's a blessed coming. But it's not a light coming. It's not a trivial coming. It's a, when grace comes into my life, what, what do I think of? Well, I think of being forgiven. True. Think of being pardoned, praise God. I don't always think of grace coming like a bulldozer, reconstructing everything. So secondly, I said there's a warning and a promise. The promise. 3.1, behold, I send my messenger. He will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. You read carefully. Malachi is careful to kind of describe two messengers instead of just one. There's the messenger. There's the messenger of the covenant. John the Baptist, the final Old Testament messenger. Jesus, the messenger of the covenant. He establishes this new covenant. He does so with his own blood the difference between Jesus and every religious leader, prophet, teacher, guru on the face of the earth. We need John the Baptist. We need Malachi. We need John the Baptist. We need them to announce. That's what they do. They announce, plead, urge, warn. But only Jesus can come and to the repentant to the one who's prepared to admit, I'm sick, I need the physician. Only Jesus can come and give a new heart. Only Jesus can come and change on the inside. So I do need the seriousness. I do need the warnings, the announce, the announcement. But I need outside help. That's where Jesus comes. He can establish people in new life in God's kingdom, not just additional demands. He can forgive the repentant. 
That's Malachi's crowd missing it, justifying, explaining away, but not repenting. And when that happens, he can't stand. He can't stand when the, when the bringer of the new covenant comes. But for those who allow the cutting edge of repentance to till up the soil, soften the heart, He can sow grace into soil broken up by the preparing work of repentance. You don't just come to Jesus to get saved. I've told this story before here, and I'm wrapping up and we're not going to be late. Years ago, 25 years ago, I was at Jack Hayford's pastor's conference. At that time, it was just a massive conference. I couldn't believe it. In the auditorium, you'd have 2,300 to 2,400 pastors from all over the world. My favorite sessions weren't when he brought in these big speakers and stuff. My favorite sessions, and I, he would have, his platform did this, and he would come up with a stool, and he would sit down, and he would, with a microphone, take questions from a room that you could, you could put five of these sanctuaries in this room. And he would take questions. And you could tell... Uh, some newbies who hadn't been around and really didn't know him very well, and they would ask questions that he would actually find embarrassing. And one of them said, you're just my mentor, Dr. Hayford. How do you just stay so spiritually alive and close to Jesus? Well, what a stupid... You could see him looking down at the floor, like wanting to crawl away. And started to move on to another question. Then he came back to it and he said, you know, you know what, I, I need to address that question. Because there's nothing special about Jack Hayford, he said. Well, maybe one thing. Maybe one thing. He said, and I learned it from my mother and father. If there's any secret to my ministry at all, it's this. I think I repent more than most people. I never forgot that sentence. I think I repent more than most people. He said, there's not a day that goes by when I don't get up early in the morning and I'm not asking Jesus for anything. But I take about the first half hour and I'm just repenting with a broken heart. And I'm just this pastor sitting there and I'm thinking, mental note, mental note. How do you prepare the way for the Lord? Well, you won't do it just glamorizing self-esteem. You'll do it by keeping your heart soft and clean and repentant before the Lord. And then that new covenant of mercy and grace is a powerful force in your 